Welcome back to Chatting to a Friend. I know, I know, it's been, as they say, a hot minute. But this year has just been so crazy. I don't know about you, but all the things put off from the COVID years uh, just all got rammed into this year and I just got a little behind and so I'm afraid the old podcast had to take a bit of a back seat. But we're back and it's a short season. Some of them were recorded quite some time ago, so apologies uh, to my amazing guests. Uh, I think you're really going to love these. One of them is very topical right now uh, and the rest are just as sort of evergreen as you would hope. And I really hope you enjoy. It's a short season three, but season three it is. My guest today is Amy Ide. Now, you might not have heard of her, and I think she would probably agree that when she started, she would have liked you to know who she was by now, because her motivation for starting her incredible uh, walking the length of the River Danube was uh, somewhat different to how it ended up being. Uh, a great deal of naivety and some adventures along the way, coupled with COVID and injury. And I think what I loved most about this conversation with Amy is that, well, two things really. One, she is very honest, very open about the fact that it was not perhaps the best planned expedition. It didn't go as she thought it might. And secondly, that, and she said this after we'd stopped recording, there's a lot of stuff she still hasn't processed from this particular adventure, I think is the best word to describe it, a real full-on adventure. And I think that's quite obvious that there's more, there's more to come from Amy Eyed and maybe one day we'll have her back for another follow-up after another adventure. But in the meantime, listen to this very open and honest chat about just stepping out the door, putting one foot in front of the other and trying to make a bit of a difference while making it up as you go along. Hi, Amy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for getting in touch. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I can't remember how we first got in touch. Did I get in touch with you? Did you get in touch with me? What was the story? Honestly, I can't really remember. Um, it was a while ago. Uh-huh. But anyway, yeah. so the reason I probably contacted you, I suspect, was because you've just done an amazing expedition. Um, so it must have been sometime about this time, maybe last year, earlier than that, that I got in touch. And mm-hmm. uh, you have just finished walking the length of the River Danube, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Now, I read your blogs and bits and pieces, very amusing, the whole original, yes, uh, I'm to be the first person to walk the Danube. I am the new Levison Wood and (laughs) I'll be done in four months. And it didn't quite work out like that, did it? No, absolutely not. To begin with, I actually planned that it would take around 45 days, Mm. which is insane. And it took over three times that. (laughs) Just tell everybody who's listening how long in terms of if you can do it in kilometers or miles, it doesn't matter. You choose. So the the river itself is around 2,800 kilometers, Mm -hmm. but following the river and then going off and taking wrong routes. I think I did around 3,200. Yowzers. And how long did yeah. it take in the end, cumulatively? 
So I started last year, mm-hmm. but had to keep going home for injuries and various things. So mm-hmm. I think in total, it was around 145, 150 days. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And so the other reasons I, so tell me a little bit, first of all, before I start saying what I've seen, tell me, so that this sort of grand adventure plan, you know, being the new Leveson Wood, wh- wh- where did that spring from? Like, what did you just think? Yeah, just look at that. It's a, it's a long river. How difficult could it be? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't really know where it came from. I think I had a big list of trips that I wanted to do. And I finished university and then I was like, I I really want to do one of these things. But it was around the time of lockdown. Mm. So it was really difficult to try and plan anything. And then when everything started to lift again, I was thinking I can't do a lot of the ones that are quite far-fetched. Like I should do something local. Mm -hmm. And then I started reading more about the Danube and I thought it was a really cool river. So then I booked my flight and went with very little planning, to be honest. <laughs> it's funny you should say it, because I've actually looked at cycling the Danube, like bikepacking. Mm. I'm, I'm so I'm, I have a sort of a vested interest in finding out from you how it was, because from what I understand, the first sections to Germany and Austria, not too tricky. Exactly. Yeah, there is the Danube cycle path, which mm. was so beautiful. It was the first leg. I ended up doing it in three legs. And I think it was probably the prettiest. Like it was gorgeous. You go through the Wachau Valley as well. Mm. So you're just walking and there's vineyards and hills and the river and it's beautiful. And then the second leg of the journey through Hungary and then to Serbia, there's very little support. A lot of it is on roads and it's not as nice. Mm. But in northern Hungary, it was, again, beautiful. Serbia was difficult because I was there in the winter. Mm. And then the last leg was Romania, Bulgaria. And it was really difficult because it was just on main roads, pretty much. Yeah. And were you beside the river or could you see the river all the time or not necessarily? No, it would have been really nice if I could have. In the beginning, it was there constantly. I could more or less always see it. But towards the end, I would have to be quite far down below the river or on top of the river to try and get roads to actually follow it mm. so I knew in theory it was there but I just I couldn't see it which was quite sad <laughs> and uh, tell me the last country that the river goes into is Ukraine did yes. you manage that no the original plan was to finish in Ukraine like the last week I think would have been in Ukraine mm. but I wasn't able to. So I went into Moldova and I met a lot of Ukrainian lorry drivers mm-hmm. going through Moldova and Romania and Ukraine, but I wasn't able to go in. So I did it through Romania on the other side of the river instead. Okay. So you did get to the end. Yeah. I uh, made it to the Black Sea. Well, I had to take a, a boat for the Alaska. Thank you. <laughs> because there's just no roads at all. So that, that was nice. It was very pretty taking a boat. Yeah, nice. So from what I gather, from what I've read, this is kind of the first thing. I mean, I know I've seen your blog and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing <laughs> for anyone listening. It's called, uh, remind us, uh, no, it's not called that. It's called, oh, tell me, tell me, because I'm looking at all the different <laughs> things about you and I've lost yours. Oh, no, how embarrassing. 
it's wandering everywhere. Yes, wandering everywhere. That's right. I've got it now. Sorry, I clicked through into somebody else's <laughs> article about you and I lost you. And so I've read things like that. You haven't really had much. I mean, you do a lot of traveling. You do like you want people to, you know, lots of know lots about lots of places. But you kind of had underestimated, as I understand it, like what this would be just like trotting off to do, as it turned out to be over 3000 kilometers of walking. Definitely. Like I say, I went with pretty much no thing because I traveled in Canada for a bit, but it would be driving somewhere, going on a walk around the mountains and then driving home. Mm. So I was thinking walking's easy. Like every day I just need to wake up, walk a little bit and then, you know, like have some food and, and rest. But there was so much more that went into it. Like to begin with, I was walking up to 15 more hours a day and it wouldn't just be walking it would be trying to plan the accommodation trying to find mm. food trying to you know avoid the rain it was a lot harder than I thought it would be yeah and and you ended up having company did you intend to do it on your own to begin with no I always like I planned it and then I told my girlfriend that I was gonna go and walk the Danube and she was like okay okay you like you go do that and then she kind of went off, did some research, and then she came back to me and she was like, oh, actually, it sounds really cool. And also there's bears. So I think, <laughs> you know, I think we should go. And then my Spanish friend as well joined us for a few weeks, mm. I think. So I wasn't alone for a lot of it. Mm. But you did do some bits on your own. Not really. I Not would really. <laughs> walk a bit fast and then I'd look over my shoulder and they'd be there. <laughs> but there was shadows. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and how did you yeah. so you're just saying that the, the walking was difficult in terms of physically as well as as you say managing all the the sort of logistics at the same time because physically well I can sympathize with the trashed feet I I just have to look at a pair of shoes <laughs> that aren't right or a long walk and my feet just fall apart um I am consistently without toenails um but you also have Crohn's disease, which is uh, not easy to manage in a house on a, a day-to-day basis, I should imagine. Never mind. Yeah, it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was walking a lot, so my body wasn't used to it because I hadn't really warmed up to it. Mm-hmm. So then my muscles would really ache and, and I did something weird with my hips, so then my hip was really hurting. Mm-hmm. And then my Crohn's wasn't great because... A lot of the time we stayed with couch surfing hosts and Mm -hmm. they would just kind of make food and I'd be super hungry. So I'd eat it and then I would be in agony and it it was really difficult. I forgot how difficult it it was, but I went through my notes of the journey recently and every few pages I'm just talking about how painful it is, which wasn't great. And could you explain for anyone who doesn't know what is Crohn's and what what are the symptoms when you say painful where what how it's an anti-inflammatory disease and it's not curable at the moment I'm not on medication for it so I'm trying to manage it with diet but where my Crohn's is because it's in different places it's in my lower large intestine Mm -hmm. so if I eat anything or if I go through stress or I'm not like sleeping well or I'm putting my body under a lot of work it flares Mm. And then I just have really bad pain or like I vomit or there's blood everywhere and like I lose hair and it's, it's really messy. It's not great. 
oh yeah, no, that's not fun at all. And did it stop you at any point? As in, did you have to stop for a few days? Did you have to, or did you just battle on? Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, I never went home for Crohn's. I went home for messing up other things in my body. But in the beginning, I tried to just kind of push past it, try to ignore it and try to act as though I was, you know, a perfectly healthy person. But then the fatigue would come in and I'd have to take it easy. Like I didn't take as many days off as I should have. So it was worse. And I think if I do another trip, when I do another trip, I'm going to listen to my body more and Mm. not beat it up so much. Yeah. And is that something you've learned in terms of, because quite often I speak to my guests and and I have this experience myself, you know, sometimes you start off with this, you know, these grand plans. And it's, as you said, you want to be the first person to walk the Danube, which you are, obviously. But, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a sort of, right, I'm going to have to achieve this many hours of walking per day. And I'm going to have done this. and I'm going to do that. And then sometimes after a while, you have to just say to yourself, actually, that's not the battle. That's not the goal. The battle for me is this. I have to manage this very unpleasant disease which is never going to go away and that's the way I'm going to do it as opposed to I'm sorry I'm waffling but do you understand what I mean yeah no I completely understand in the beginning I don't think I realized how far a mile was so (laughs) I kind of planned to do I think it was 40 miles or something absolutely insane and then on the first day we walked 20 and I was like right that I'm never going to be able to hit that 40 miles yeah And in the beginning as well, I think my plan was to finish it. I can't remember in how many days because it kept getting longer. Uh But I think seven, five days was the max Mm. that I wanted to do. So then there were the three of us. And then we'd be kind of marching through these towns going, you know, like not really taking as many breaks and not seeing as much as we could. And like if my Spanish friend slept in late, I'd be super annoyed. I'd be like, oh, right, we're not going to make it. Like, I think maybe halfway through having my girlfriend and my friend with me, I was like, wow, we, I, I need to stop. <laughs> like there were some towns that maybe we could have stayed in longer and enjoyed a bit more. Mm. And I realized that it's not just trying to make it in the 75 days. It's just making it fun for everybody and not, not, not pushing everyone. Yeah, because that was one of the other things I was going to ask you. You know, you said earlier you marched on for a bit and then you turned around and they were still there. And then you just mentioned this. Was it, Yeah. are you the sort of person that deals well with constant company? Because not everybody is. Yeah, not as much as I thought I would be. <laughs> like we would be walking and then the Spanish friend is called Inez and my girlfriend is Emily. And they would both be just like, behind me like walking talking being super slow have you there like come on like we have to make it like we have to make it but then we got in some situations like we stayed with a few couch surfers that were a bit dodgy and mm. um, we got in you know like we had some experiences that there needed to be us together working as a team mm. and it made me realize that I just I need to chill <laughs> yeah and do you think that's, do you think it has, I mean, I know you're not long finished, you finished a few weeks ago, but do you think that will stay with you, that chilling out, like just different way of looking at things? I hope so, yeah, because I feel in the end of the trip as well, it took maybe a month longer than it would have 
to do the same distance in the beginning just because we slowed down and we were taking it easier mm-hmm. and I think going forward I would want to take more time like there's no need to to rush yeah yeah and, uh, and, and did it was it did it become more enjoyable kind of yeah <laughs> um <laughs> In in the slowing down, it did. But then towards the end, we were in a lot of villages, very, very small villages in Bulgaria, Romania, where me and Emily became vegetarian. Mm. And it was so difficult to find food and it was difficult to communicate because my Romanian isn't, isn't. Yeah. <laughs> but it was nice. It, it was good being able to slow down and take it easy. And you say you became vegetarian, what, en route? no about halfway through so I was still hoping for the last leg that we'd be able to go through Ukraine so I was hoping to just kind of wait it out but obviously that didn't happen so meanwhile I went to Morocco I've been vegetarian for a while before and Mm. then I started eating meat again and then I went to Morocco and saw a lot of animals be killed that I don't think I would be able to kill Mm. and I, I just thought I might as well go vegetarian if I'm not able to do it myself. Yeah, and are you and, and and is it better for you in terms of your diet? It is, yeah. I didn't eat a lot of meat anyway. Mm. So it was just kind of cutting out the last few. And it's easier for me to have a plainer diet, just having mm. like rice and, and cooked down veg and stuff. Mm. But it was really difficult to find food as well. Yeah, most places, well, it's better now in most of Europe, but I mean I remember even places like Italy or France, mm. sometimes impossible to find like a decent vegetarian option on a menu. So yes, I, wow. <laughs> I've never been, I've never been to that part of the world, but yes, I can imagine that was not uh, uh, an easy find. And so talk to me a little bit more about the countries that you went through. Were there ones that you l- liked more than others that you felt were easier, more beautiful or, you know, whatever? Yeah, I went through nine in the end. Mm. So the Danube goes through 10, but obviously avoided Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what my favorite was. I really, really liked the north of Hungary because Mm. it had some really pretty towns. Like it was full of tea rooms and I could get really nice hot chocolates. Mm -hmm. But then the walk wasn't as good as it was in Germany because in Germany, leaving the Black Forest, it was so beautiful. It was so scenic. And you would walk and there would be goats with the little bells around their necks. Mm. And that was really nice. I think for me, the hardest place was Serbia. Oh. Because the first time around, it was in November. Mm-hmm. And it was freezing cold. And the roads were not nice at all. And... I'd really been looking forward to Serbia because it was the furthest east that I've ever been. Mm. And I don't know, I think I really built it up in my mind and we turned up and it wasn't as good as I'd hoped, which was a shame. Mm. And did I say, did I hear on, or read it somewhere about Bratislava being a bit challenging? Was that, was that the case? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think up until Bratislava, more or less everyone that we met was super, super lovely, would, you know, like do everything for us. And then the first day in Bratislava, we went to our host house for the night and we waited outside for him to let us in. And because we had the big backpacks on, a security guard came around and started yelling at us. And then the next day we took a little break and we took a tram 
like a fake tram officer guy. We had tickets, but we couldn't scan it because he was stood in front of the machine. So he came at us and he was really angry and he was like, you need to pay me. And we were like, no, we were going to scan it. And then he made us get off and his friend was waiting and they both cornered us and they were demanding all this money and saying they were going to take us to the police. And I was like, scrap it. <laughs> I brought us over. It was so hard. And then my friend Inez, she decided to stay in Bratislava and work there. Mm. She worked in a really dodgy hotel in a pretty dodgy area. <laughs> and after the beauty of Germany and Austria, it, was, it, it wasn't my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound it. Oh, dear. That, well, that is hard. Yeah. So much fun. And so you had favorite countries, you had less favorite countries. And we talked a little bit about one of the, the main reasons was n- not being like a bearded Levison would, although he's clearly quite an important influence in your life. Um, <laughs> but, you know, doing it for to, to not be. And I've talked to, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, as you can probably imagine, with female <laughs> adventurers, like not being the grizzly white man and still having mm-hmm. a massive adventure. And so that was one of your main things, obviously to do it to show that, you know, even living with Crohn's disease, you can have adventure. But there were two other reasons. And one was for the LGBTQ plus community and mm-hmm. the other a bit about pollution, just to raise awareness and so on. Can you talk to me about both of those and tell me what you thought would bring to it and whether you feel like that has come to fruition? Yeah. In Germany, things for the LGBTQ plus community are a lot easier. Like we Mm. flew into Berlin and then traveled down to the Danube. Mm. And I knew that the further east we would get, the harder it would be. Mm. And in Hungary, we met with a group of ladies that are kind of standing against the current guy in charge because he's obviously very anti-LGBTQ plus. And... They were telling us all of these stories about living in a country that I think is, you know, like very advanced Mm. in a lot of ways, but they can't do so many things that in Wales I can do. Mm -hmm. And we continued going east, like it would be me and Emily and they would see us and go, oh, are you sisters? Mm. And we'd be like, no, we're not sisters. And then they'd be like, oh, well, are you friends? And it's like, yeah I guess I guess we're friends and then they would ask us if we were traveling alone and it just seemed to happen more and more one time we were crossing the border into Serbia from Serbia into Romania and the security guy the border patrol asked if we were with a man and we said no he was like oh so you're alone and we were like well we're not alone because we're together Uh and It was just very interesting because I've not really been to many places where I don't feel comfortable, like Mm. holding my girlfriend's hand or telling people that we stayed with a lot of people that would ask questions about us. But in a way that like they they didn't say what it was and it didn't make me want to say what it was because we were staying with them and they could have, I don't know, anything could have happened. And I kind of expected it, but I didn't really expect it. So that was interesting, I guess. So it was both and then for, yes, go on. I was just going to say before you go on, just it's both for being female travelers, but also being female travelers in a couple. That is sort of yeah. two, two sides of that, I guess. 
yeah because it's just something that I am so yeah. it was it, it was I don't know it was very interesting to just walk and have it not be something that I could share comfortably yes and always having always sort of having to feel a bit prepared I guess maybe mm-hmm. which you know, yeah definitely a, a, you know a white man traveling on his own doesn't even has neither of those well unless of course he is gay which is obviously but you know <laughs> you're sort of stereotypical white straight traveling you know adventurer doesn't have that that, that there's like a level of weight on you that they don't even have to consider yeah definitely good and tell me about the the about the pollution and the uh, the state of the river and and did it change as you went through the countries it did change and to be honest it was a little bit heartbreaking because we saw it in the very beginning where it was just more or less a tiny drip out of a pipe uh-huh. and then it became this very very small river and it was so clear we drank out of it and the further we went it became a lot bigger and then suddenly there were ships in there Ooh. and it, it it made me I don't know we'd been walking alongside it and suddenly there were ships and you could see the oil on the surface of the Danube mm-hmm. and there were bottles floating in it and it made me really sad and then after Serbia it becomes really really badly polluted with microplastics and antibiotics and we would just sit by the Danube and look out and just see all of these horrid things floating in it. And then towards the end, I wanted to do a celebratory swim through the river and I did so. And then later I was researching it and all of the nuclear power plants and all of these like, you know, things were going on around it. And this is water that so many people drink and like there's people still fishing in it. There's a lot of livelihoods relying on it. And it was really hard to see it be this really beautiful river that just turned into more or less a, a dumping yard, pretty much. Oh, that's that's really grim. And do you feel like there's any, uh, or have you heard of or been involved in any sort of movement to do anything about it? Or I tried. There was a group in, I was meant to meet a guy in Bratislava, actually, mm. and they are against plastic like they're trying to remove plastic from the Danube and help it be significantly less polluted and I tried to meet him and I waited and he never turned up and I I sent him messages afterwards and it just didn't work out which Mm. was a shame definitely yeah and so he's he's hopefully on the case but yeah it takes a lot more than that Uh, there's only so much that people can do personally as we all know but if you're you know you've got nuclear power plants spilling into it then you're pretty much on a hiding to nothing so tell me what apart from sort of learning to pace yourself and maybe enjoy the journey a bit more what other kind of lessons did you come out of this with if any I think I kind of went in with the idea that people would all of them would be a really nice person really helpful and if they ever saw us in need then they would kind of do whatever that they could mm. to to help but it was harder the further east we got because there are a lot more street animals and and because we couldn't speak the language as well mm. it was hard because I wanted to stay with people and I wanted to share things and maybe have them help us 
but I realized that you can't just rely on people on mm. the kindness of strangers to help you make something that's so personal to you into mm. you know like a, a dream that's come true and that was really hard to learn because I thought it would be super easy but yeah there was a lot that went on there <laughs> mm. but did you were you also pleasantly surprised by the amount? I mean, would you say that there's more than 50% of the time you were not looked after? Or what was the sort of, can you do a percentage-ish, you know, with your staying over or asking for help? Was it overwhelmingly just disappointing? Or was it just that there weren't as many as you thought would be helpful? I mean, it was, I think, mainly towards the end because we we're in very small villages and we would mm. walk in and people would be kind of like, oh, like, who are these and then we try and, you know, like do a Google Translate and a lot of them wouldn't be interested. Mm. So then we'd walk through one town and I'd be like, this is the worst place on earth, awful. <laughs> but then we'd continue walking and then a little old lady would call us over, start yelling at us and I'd be like, oh, it's happening again. And then she'd be like, no, no, you need to take all of these grapes and you need to take water with you. And mm. yeah, so it's it's hard to do a percentage because... Mm in a very small village I'd be like it's a hundred percent but then there's always that one old lady that's trying to take care of us <laughs> well good <laughs> and any um any other positive learnings from it there was so much I think one would definitely be taking better care of my body mm. and I think as well I went in without planning anything at all I think my budget to begin with was around a thousand pounds and by the end, it absolutely was not a thousand pound. And mm. I think it would have been better to plan ahead and know that it was going to be eye watering in the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so your travels continue. You're currently in Istanbul and then you're off to other parts of Turkey and then back into Eastern Europe and then off to Mexico. This, that was perhaps, you know, the start of, you know, lots of big adventures. What's what's next? Yeah, I, I hope so. The next big one hasn't been planned, mm. but I'm going to Mexico for Day of the Dead. Ooh. And it'll just be nice to go and learn more about how people celebrate and how they honor their dead and try and brush up on Spanish as well, which will be yeah. quite nice. <laughs> Excellent. And the blog is continuing. There's lots of good stuff on there, including your obsession with tea. So that's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Honestly, I'm like a a, a, a bit of a, a sad tea person in my terms of my tea drawer here in the house and trying to educate people on the ways of a good British cup of tea as I travel around Europe. <laughs> but that's a whole other story for somebody else's podcast. But the blog is is ongoing and we can follow mm-hmm. you there, follow you there. It's uh, wondering-everywhere.com. And mm-hmm. uh, yep. same on Instagram. But it's an underscore, underscore instead of a hyphen. I see yeah. that. So people can follow you on there and uh, keep up with what you're doing. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I loved it. That well, Congratulations. What a trip and uh, much more than you bargained for, which is uh, <laughs> so well done for ca- carrying on being, as they say in Scotland, being thrown. Do you know what that means? It means... <laughs> stubborn and determined oh, I like it nice <laughs> it's usually used in a bad way but I like to think of it as you can use it in a good way when you say yeah you just 
hacked it out. You just carried on. So there you go. Anyway, so thank you so much. Best of luck with the rest of the travels. And um, thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.